Welcome to the Multipurpose Room, a podcast helping school organizations and school administrations achieve their goals. Each episode discusses real-life topics that PTAs, PTOs, and school staff are dealing with. Our hosts and guests offer practical tips, learnings, and best practices to achieve their desired outcomes. And here are your hosts, Wesley and Deborah Jones. All right, welcome listeners. Today we're going to be talking about best practices for managing your social media accounts. We've spent the last couple of episodes discussing social media and how PTAs can transition to a more online presence in light of virtual schooling this year. And we're going to continue that conversation. We've discussed the various tools in the past, and today we'll talk about how to best manage those tools, whatever tools you decide to leverage. We're joined today by Matthew Desolate Des from Squad Locker, and he has been doing this for many, many years, in particular in the education space most recently. So he has some great tips for us today. Des, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and your social media background? Sure. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real pleasure. We're such a big fan of K-12 at Squad Locker and couldn't be more excited to kind of talk about this subject. I think it's an interesting one, but a little bit about me first, because that's what everyone wants to hear, of course. <laughs> my background is a little interesting. I started at Northeastern University. It's kind of where my marketing interests blossomed. I went to school with the intention of getting involved in political science, but like a lot of Northeastern students, you go to co-op and sometimes that shows you, for those who don't know, co-op is basically an internship, but you get paid. Northeastern takes care of you there. So the cool thing is sometimes you learn, oh man, this is exactly what I want to do. And sometimes you go, ooh, this is not what I want to do. So I learned from my co-op that I did not want to be involved in politics, government, law, any of those things. I learned that my real passion that I got from back in the days of being in a band was this excitement of kind of building something and having control and, and growing an entity and being validated by people. My first love was music and I was a guitar player and hope in, in an attempt to become a rock star. In a lot of ways, entrepreneurship and marketing sort of gave me the same feeling there. So I got involved a little bit in a program there called IDEA, which is a venture accelerator on Northeastern's campus, and then jumped right into startup jobs in my senior year, starting with a company called On Hand. And I'll probably be making some callbacks to my time there because On Hand grew through college campuses and bookstores specifically. And we had a lot of conversations around social media there. But ever since then, I've been in startup software companies in a marketing role. And Squad Locker is my latest venture. Awesome. Deb mentioned that we had a conversation about this last week and talked about what schools should do for social media. Can you kind of give us your opinion of what schools should do to pick the right social media platform? Like, how do they kind of narrow it down? There's so many options to choose from. Yeah, well, I think you said it right there. It doesn't have to be a situation where you boil the ocean, right? You don't have to be on every single platform. You don't have to. There are tons of articles on the internet that will give you a really tight playbook on how to run Twitter, how to run Pinterest, how to run Facebook, right? Times every platform out there. So, what you can sometimes end up with is you can end up with like a Google spreadsheet with 20 social media. Believe it or not, there are technically 20 platforms. There's more than that out there, but like people don't think of Reddit and Quora. I mean, you can go and make an account on all these things and try to be active. But Wes, to your point, I think this is more of a factor in what's right for your school. Like where is your audience? 
where can you best invest your time? And I, I'm kind of led a little bit with my answer. I think, how does the school pick the right one? I think there's two sides to this equation, not to get academic on it, but I think there's supply and demand, right? So on the demand side, where are your students? Where do they live? What platforms do they use? You can create, can you still create a MySpace account? I mean, you could try. I don't know if they're out there, but if there are no students out there, MySpace won't really help you at all. If none of your students are on Reddit, you won't get anything out of that. But if you find out that you have a good student presence on Facebook or Twitter, that might be the right avenue for you. So that's the demand side, right? So can you actually reach your audience? The supply side is, are you equipped and prepared to host and to engage and create on that platform in a way that is proven to be effective, right? So Twitter is not a once a week platform. You don't post on Twitter once a week, you will, nothing will happen. You need to post on Twitter two to five times a day. Like it's, it's a different feed, right? And do you have that kind of person or persons in your organization who can maintain that? Because I think one thing that you'll find for the supply side or for the, the operational side, however you want to look at it, is that you're going to get the best results out of social media when you can formulate a plan and stick to it consistently for a period of time that's somewhat significant. So don't try Twitter for a month. Don't try it for a week, right? Like you got to give it a quarter, give it a, it might sound crazy, but give it like a half a year and see if anything happens because you need to let. So a tighter answer there is see where your students are and find the platforms that you can create a plan and be consistent for a good amount of time and measure. Yeah, that's a good point. And one of the things that we always tell our customers is think about who's going to take on the responsibility next year. So not only are you posting one to three or five times a day on certain social media tools and platforms, but who's going to take over that role when you leave next year? Well, that's an interesting point, too. So part of this gig, right, part of the idea of having a presence on social media and creating content is the activity, right? Can you do the activity? Can you do it consistently? But then there's the effectiveness, right? How effective are we? And that's where you're kind of talking about who takes over next year, who's running it now, strategically, who should be crafting the messaging. And I think that that is an area where it can be very different depending on what kind of organization you're with, what school you're with, what level you're at, because the answer might surprise people in terms of maybe who your best owner for a social media account would be. Yeah, well, that's a great segue uh, into who should that be? And why don't we start? You mentioned different levels. I think that's totally dead on. I think it depends on who your audience is and, and what level of school you're in. So why don't we start with elementary and middle schools? Who should run their social media accounts? Right. So uh, I'll pre-apologize if I make incorrect assumptions, but I will say with elementary and middle school, I'm going to guess that our audience probably isn't necessarily students. I'm sure they may have a social media account, but I'm not 100% sure that six-year-olds are like jumping on Twitter after the debate to see who won. Um, I think that's right. Yeah. I think that your better audience there are going to be parents, right? You got to think about the parents, think about the age, demographic. You probably have some kind of access in your school to know what your demographics look like at your school for parents. And then one of my kind of tricks that I think will become more interesting as we go later in school life here and who I think should manage is match to your demographic. Think about who that person is and see who in your part of the organization could tackle that. Because one thing that I think is um, 
a theme that I would tie through here. Don't overthink or over-engineer the person that is communicating to the audience, right? If you have that person under your roof, use them. Ask them to be themselves. Ask them to be authentic. Think about this as like a dinner party or you're already on the PTO. What do you guys talk about after the meeting? But don't, you know, don't try and over-engineer it. If you're somebody who is maybe a little far outside the demographic or, you know, you've maybe been in the industry for 30 plus years and you have some folks that I'm making some assumptions here, but are in their, you know, 40s or 50s with younger, with younger children. They're sort of in that life day to day. You may have been in that life, but you may have been there before, but you may be overthinking who should be the person communicating because I think what you'll find is if you actually just align the demographic that you're speaking to with the person who is generating the content, you'll have a lot more alignment out of the box. So how does that change in high school? And you, you previewed this a little bit, but you're looking at your demographic that's probably changing a little bit in high school. So what do people do differently there and who should be running the social account in high school? So this is where things are probably going to get interesting, right? So you're maybe thinking, okay, Des, you just told me that my audience, you know, is the parents. So we go up to high school. Maybe the parents get older. So I get an older parent age person to do it. Wrong. I think when you're in high school, you actually have to start considering your students the audience. And maybe it sounds bold. Maybe it sounds crazy for some people. I actually think that your best person to run your high school social media accounts is a student. I think that that's where the magic really happens. And I think that there's a few ways you can, you know, I'm sure some people hear that and they go, oh, oh, no, oh, no, there's no way that I could let a student do that. What if they type something inappropriate? Or you know, what if they <laughs> what if they don't understand what the goal is? And, and I think there's actually a way to, to hire the right student. Before we get to hiring the right student, what about that oversight? I mean, that's the first thing that jumps to mind. We have a six-year-old and a 10-year-old. And so right now, you know, that's the vision. I know we're talking about older students, certainly here in high school, but I'm like, ah, what if they are new to social media, don't know what to do, may not know the lines not to cross or um, may not get the right information. So what about oversight and kind of division of responsibilities between the parent group or the school and the student? So I think that in order to develop a program where you have a student managing your social media, you do need a adult employee advisor or leader, right? It's very similar. We used to see this at on hand a lot in college bookstores where college students manage many successful bookstore social media accounts because we kind of learned that we, I said the royal we, is like the industry we learn this through repetition and practice. Now, obviously, in college-age students, we're talking about you know, 18, so it's a very different category in terms of maturity. But I think off the top, um, if you have folks, and, and they need a little bit less guardrails on the college, on the collegiate side. But in the high school side, I think that if you look at having somebody in the program that has oversight, maybe has publishing power, maybe they don't generate the content, but they click the button, you can leverage a bunch of inexpensive to free platforms to make that easier. Scheduling programs and platforms that can make that a little bit easier if you're concerned. Sometimes you can just manage it through a good old-fashioned Google Sheet and have the student write the, the text and copy and then you, you know, copy, paste, and click if you have those kinds of concerns. But then the other thing I would say in terms of oversight division, one thing that can make your life a little bit easier is I would generally err on the side of upperclassmen for this. So like I probably wouldn't hand the reins to a ninth grader out of the gate. But if you find someone who is junior or senior, you can maybe alleviate a little bit 
of that part. But yeah, I, I do understand that they're not necessarily going to give the whole keys to the to the kingdom to a student. I think you do need a faculty member who is going to be ultimately either having visibility or publishing power there. At the same time, if you want to have that stronger alignment, like we talked about on the elementary side, you can align a uh, potentially a younger faculty member if you think that would be helpful. Maybe somebody who's in like a TA role or a brand new teacher so that they can be complimentary in terms of the brand voice for your school when speaking to the students. And that would I say could also be your fail safe. If you're really looking for this and you're saying there's no way I am letting a student touch or manage our social media, it, it maybe at least look at younger employees because I think that they won't have to work as hard to try and, you know, make a connection. Yeah, I, I agree with you. You brought up a good point there. I I don't think they should necessarily maybe have to lead the social media but they are definitely a good resource for creating content and being able to identify with what the viewers are, are seeing and experiencing themselves. So it's a it's a good avenue to test out reaching out to a high school student who is mature and is able to create some good content that can help you guys move the social media forward. So when you briefly mentioned and you talked about how often to post and you said Twitter is one of those platforms you want to post daily and kind of constantly can you tell us a little bit more about Facebook and Instagram? How often should schools be posting on those two different platforms? Yeah, so I think that Instagram, one thing I will say is, this is my disclaimer. There's going to be articles on the internet that are going to say that I'm wrong. And there are going to be articles on the internet that say I'm right. The internet's a scary place to learn how to do something <laughs> in the sense that it can be very helpful. I think when you consider Facebook and Instagram in terms of post frequency, how often you should be doing it, you have to take a step back and think about what you are as a brand, right? So I don't want anyone to hear this and just say, well, it's the rule that Instagram you post once a day. I mean, if you work for like a large business to business enterprise company, that's going to be very different. But right now I'm talking just schools. I think Instagram is a visual content platform, and there is a lot that goes into the curation of that content. So I think it gets really important that you don't confuse post frequency. Man, I'm about to use a really, uh, really large sounding term, but post frequency op optimization. Don't necessarily confuse that with how you would plan. I think Instagram is probably safe to say a daily poster, and you could probably up that to multiple times per day if, this is a big if, you can curate the image content ahead of time. I think if you try and keep up with Instagram without having any imagery or, or any visual content, and you're like every day struggling to find what the next post is, uh, you'll certainly do it. You'll hit your numbers, but you won't necessarily post the most thoughtful content because Instagram does over time tell a visual story. People do things like tiling and collaging, which is that thing that you see sometimes if you're on an Instagram account where people take portions of a larger picture and post them in the right order so that they make a bigger picture. I believe it's called piling and collaging. Like there's a lot of things that you could do to make your Instagram interesting. But again, I think that's the visual side, right? So part of the technique here is thinking visually, do I want to achieve this? Or am I thinking more on the back end operationally, looking at my hashtags, what people are following and how people are talking about it. So Facebook, I think is interesting. When you talk about post frequency on Facebook, to be totally honest, in the school space, Facebook gets more power from groups these days than they do from just raw posts. Raw posts to the school demographics 
not necessarily at the elementary level where our target, again, remember our target is parents. When our target to parents, Facebook has more power. When our target is students, Facebook has less power from posting. Group and community building might be your stronger use of Facebook there. So your goal maybe isn't to post once a day on Facebook or three times a week on Facebook. Your goal is maybe to get people to join a Facebook group around your school, around your community. And in order to do that, post frequency should be likely in the measured by week, not by day, because you will eventually spam people and you will eventually get what's called audience fatigue where they're sick of hearing from you. It's like, no, I'm not going to join the group. So good strategies there is just create different offers and different reasons to join the group and show value in the group over time. If you're kind of thinking in your head that Facebook is going to be the thing that we use to post a few times a week to update and inform people, that's only with the strength of the group and the community that you have around it. So it can be a little bit of a process there. I hope I answered that question. It was kind of like a little bit off to the left, but Yeah, no, that made sense. I mean, it sounds like, you know, Facebook is measuring posts sometimes in weeks. IG is is a day and Twitter is multiple times a day in terms of frequency. Just generally, I know there's a lot more nuance in there on how you're using the tools. But I think as a rule of thumb, it sounded like those three uh, were the main ways to interact with those tools. Right. And I think one thing that's just a little cutting edge just to bring up is the whole concept of stories, right, on all of these platforms, Twitter the least. Twitter is not yet a story threading platform, but Instagram is definitely the more mature one in this sense. So stories basically take the post-frequency concept and sort of throw it out the window and say, okay, great, you're posting once a day. But now when you look at stories, so for those who don't know, the concept is basically you take a collection of visual assets with different texts, different hashtags, and you group them together in a scrolling story. So sometimes you want your story to be consumable all at once. So you maybe want to launch a story Monday at 9 a.m. that has six visual assets with different tags, different motivations. Sometimes you want, and this is where I see it happen more often, when you deal with live stories, which is a whole other way of looking at things, you want people to follow throughout a day. So you set expectations with your first post in the morning and say, hey, today we're giving away five things. Uh, follow our story to learn more. And then throughout the day, you'll see different posts that sort of direct you to uh, different actions all in that same post. But again, it's a relatively new, not necessarily new to the consumer, but new to the B2B or like to the organizational level strategy. It's adjacent to sort of like the getting started. So if you're just getting started on social media, keep, especially in Instagram, keep stories and keep live stories in the back of your mind because I think it'll create good engagement. But the value of those parts of the tool are once you have a community built. So if you have zero followers, you don't have people engaging. Stories won't do a ton for you yet, but they will help you grow your audience quite a bit once you have them. I think stories are actually a really fascinating way to showcase events. Like if you're thinking of a school fun run or even a school yeah. auction, which a lot of schools are looking at virtual ways to do auctions, stories can be really engaging. And to your last point of live stories, you know, taking stories even a step further for the schools that are doing in-person auctions, but may have some of their audience who is hesitant to come to an in-person auction because of health concerns, there's a possibility to engage people in a way that's different than Zoom, right? And by using live stories... I think that the schools can create some interest and excitement in those events, even for people who choose not to attend or cannot attend. 
Totally. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of the unique thing is like having that, you're bringing the expertise of a, a specific school related challenge or pain point or opportunity, option, and thinking about how can Instagram help me with this, right? And instead of maybe just posting, you know, hey, we're doing a thing, think about taking it virtual, think about using the live story to increase participation for people who can't show up in person. This, this tool can be a big expander. And parts of the platform can allow you to do things you wouldn't otherwise be able to. Absolutely. I look at it as the, you know, the megaphone, right? So you've, you've already got whatever you're going to say, but now social media can be your megaphone. And taking that one step further, social media, I also look at it as a megaphone because it is a competition for attention at times, right? And so you picture the, the person with the megaphone is really competing for attention. Now, On social media, unlike when you're a single individual with a megaphone at a rally, on social media, you're in a room full of people with megaphones. And so there is that competition for attention. And it's more than just the megaphone because then there's the visual elements of it as well. And that has pushed some people pretty far. I mean, in the last couple of years, social media has gotten some negative press. And there have been more and more discussions around the ethics of social media and now that students are online, people are, schools, I should say specifically, are taking another look at their policies around social media or privacy online, et cetera. What are your thoughts on this issue and, and how do schools think about this as they are looking at managing their social media accounts? Right. Yeah, I think we'd be remiss not to talk about the ethics of social media a little bit here. The information that we are getting every day, especially around younger populations, is staggering. We're we're in the world now where, you know, you have true, not just digital natives, but social media natives, right? Folks that have only experienced the world with social media, depending on parent to parent, whether how early they get it, but they've never necessarily lived in the world without. So it does a lot in terms of behavior, but I think one of my messages specifically to this community and the community around education and, you know, the part that we play in social media is that this is the good part, right? I I think that might, you know, and to dive into what do I mean by that, it's like there's, when you look at all the different places where folks are going to be getting information, you know, you as an organization, as a school, as a community, have ownership over the content that you publish, the visual content, the written content, how you want people to think about the community that you've created. And, you know, you're a source of truth. Look at yourselves as a source of truth, right? And you can be a resource for people to have open and honest discussions around events, around policies. We're in a world right now where it seems like every day we have to have a discussion about what's next for our campus, for our community. And you can be an accurate source of truth. And one thing that I would like to say, too, is around the ethics of social media. It's not to say there is an unethical, organic social media content, but we're not talking about the paid advertisers that are sort of, uh, I don't want to call it stealing attention, but I guess skipping the line, we can call it, kind of how advertising works. Like you're skipping the line for attention. You're sort of like pushing people out of the way, but you can be the signal through the noise, right? You are the real source of truth for your school, your campus, your community. You can definitely, the way I look at it is this, down to the students, they log on, they're on a social media platform. To your point, they are competing for attention. Everyone is. The content you put out there is the signal that cuts through the noise, and it, it is something that is genuine and helpful for the people of the community. So do more. <laughs> put more content out there. 
grab their attention with things that can be engaging and insightful and informative. I think that's also another call. Maybe one of the calls to action here is be thoughtful about your content, right? Don't regurgitate links. Don't share. Don't be another place that shares an article. It might be tempting sometimes, I think, when you manage a social media account to do what's called newsjacking, right? I think we all do it. Brands have to do it. Like brands have to, like I have to jump on. I don't, thankfully, but like sometimes brands will like jump on the debates or they'll jump on the end of the batch. Like we have to reshare a funny video or a meme. And I would actually encourage folks that are trying to build strong communities to maybe show a little restraint in that area and do a little bit more original content because you can be the signal to people's noise. And honestly, it's like they're getting that. They're getting that from other places. Like there's no need to, to sort of like to jump on that bandwagon. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I think that getting true verified information out there is really critical, especially now where people aren't necessarily feeling as physically connected in the education realm because they may not be able to go to their brick and mortar school. So I do think that the social media groups play a larger role even in this time and agree with you that it's important that those groups keep uh, posting. So I did check while we were talking here, and you can still join MySpace. They encourage that you use your Facebook or Twitter profile to join. <laughs> um, so that's kind of funny. How the mighty have fallen. Exactly. You cannot, however, join Six Degrees, which was the first social network that actually was founded in 97. And that surprised me because that was earlier than I thought. The other tools came on around 2000. And so Six Degrees was ahead of its time but only lasted until 2001. So it sounds like MySpace and LinkedIn toppled six degrees. But for those who still want to join MySpace, you still you have can time. do it. Yeah. <laughs> well, Daz, I really... Tom hasn't given up yet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly right. We really appreciate your thoughts here today. I think you shared some really great tips about when managing your social media account to match to your demographics, both in terms of who's managing the account but also on which social media sites to pick, right? You don't have to be on all of them, but go to the ones where your consumers of information are. I think that's a really great point and people shouldn't feel pressured to be everywhere. And then in terms of the different platforms, Twitter is more frequent. Facebook is more group focused and less frequent and IG is visual and daily. So just think about that as well from a management perspective when choosing your social media accounts. Any last thoughts to share, Des? Uh, yeah, I think that if there was any one message I would want to give out, and I think that there's a few tie-ins to the specifics we talked about today, think a little outside the box, you know? You know, don't necessarily take every single playbook for their word or assume that, you know, because it was done one way, it should continue to be done that way. I think this is an evolving, you know, to your point, megaphone, right? The megaphone evolves, the platform evolves, and, you know, evolve with it. Stay, stay ahead of the curve. And that that is a way where you will, you know, people want to really understand how to get an advantage on a platform, whether it be social media or any other platform. Stay on top of what's ahead and try and be a little bit ahead of that. You know, be innovative. Do something different. Yeah, I think social media, sometimes we forget, like it's playful. You should have fun. You should make good content that people enjoy. And there's some opportunity there. So, yeah, thanks, Des, for joining us. And thanks to our listeners for listening today. And we'll see you on our next episode. Make sure to visit our website at themultipurposeroom.school and subscribe to this show. If you like the topics on the show, 
we share additional resources on our company blog at k12clothing.com and click on blog. Thanks to Squad Locker for making this show possible. And we'll see you next week in the multi-purpose room.